Well, what does the other side look like? If you see the law lord as in contest in the truth space with the lord of religion, if you see the environment that we're in as a rhetorical space in which we decide, in a sense, what stories we believe, what beliefs we become persuaded of, and if we build those up into an aggregation that allows others to connect with us by somehow touching us at fundamental belief levels. And you see law up against the Lord of religion? Whoa, it looks like a tough contest. I mean, just think of the assets that the Lord of religion has in establishing base beliefs in us to which people can connect when they try to persuade us. And it is of the nature of things that it's our beliefs that guide us. Religion starts with... Well, suppose, suppose you had to list it. There you are. You're going to think about litigating the case of the century. It's law against religion or religion against law. Take it as you choose. You're in a contest for belief. How do you evaluate the strengths of your opponent? If you sit across the table in the seat of the Lord of Religion and you're looking across the table at law, what are the assets you have? We live in a world in which one could say law at least used to be a sort of religion of America. We go to school in an environment where there are Statements like under law, not under men, or I don't know, what are the, what are the, what are the, what, what, what are all the good legal, how do we distinct, what is it we like about law, what are the pluses on our side? Suppose we're in a competition for a way of governing ourselves in which one model is that we are led by the Lord of religion. Islam, led by the scholars, up against what? What do we think of as law? How do we contrast it? Religion starts with your awe, our awe at being alive. I mean, it's unbelievable. What is it? Where does it come from? Where does it go? All these questions of infinity, all the domain of religion and myth. Everyone searching for 
some kind of meaning. And here, great histories of success of religion and myth in organizing communities around belief structures that allow them to function. How is law different? Tell me who you are. Hi, I'm James. Um, I think if the, the conflict, if there is one between law and religion, focuses on belief and evidence, and that in a courtroom, exactly what we don't want is a juror to come in and to make a decision based on a belief absent evidence, whereas one of the most fundamental aspects of religion is belief in absence of evidence. I mean, I've, I've had arguments with my wife and other people about religion, and sometimes it's amazing how just seeing someone's belief so pure and so honest, despite any tangible, you know, earthly evidence to support that, which if, if that kind of belief structure carried over to a, a legal world, it just would seem unfair to the defendants. Yet in a religious sense, you, I don't know how you could have religion that was based on evidence in that same way. Good. Thank you, Jason. One, one can imagine the structure of the conflict as between a a hierarchical structure of truth and knowledge and one that is somehow more distributed. That is, who, what is the source of law? What is the source of law? What is the source of our law? What is the source of our law? There's a real answer. You know it. It's a famous phrase. It's like a lot of these phrases that you come across in law that somehow seems to have lost its true meaning as it just becomes a phrase. What is it? Yes, sing out, Scott. We the people. We the people. Yes, that is the phrase. In the best closing argument that I know of on film, which, like Eminem, I may show you before we're through, Paul Newman closes in the verdict. People familiar with this? He makes his closing argument. The point of which is when he gets to that moment when he hands the case, the responsibility for representing his client to the jury. That's the point at which you no longer have any control. His message to the jury is, you are the law. You are the law, not the marble courthouses, not the black robes. You are the law. And this is true. This is we the people. 
This is the idea of law in a law school. This is the idea of transitioning from being a student of the law to being law yourselves and understanding that it is you and you represent it. So, in a sense, the contest between law and religion is about the source of truth. What we're calling truth, this ambiguous thing, and maybe that's not the best word to describe it. But what you believe in, what you, what you ground your mode of living your life in. What stories about, what, what stories that guide how you behave come from law? What come from religion? What come from other places? This is the contest. We see then this metaphor of the law lord as a programmer of a process that's designed to generate story, that's designed to be received by people and guide their behavior. And yes, there are obligations of law for getting it right for the people who are immediately in front of them. And yes, there are obligations of law for getting it right for the audience that observes the story and for whom, in many ways, it's being generated. So, the story of Solomon, the wisest judge. You all know the story. Solomon, king of Israel. Two women, each with a child. One of the children, the babies, dies in the night. Some form of crib death, who knows. And a dispute arises. Because in the morning, the woman who wakes with the dead child, says, this child isn't mine. This other woman has stolen my child, which was alive, and replaced it with hers, which was dead. And these two women come before Solomon, each accusing the other. And Solomon says, Bring me a sword. Let the child be divided. One half for one, one half for the other. And woman number one says, No, no, don't do that. Give the child to the other. And woman number two says, Split it, that's fair. And Solomon renders his judgment, handing the child to woman number one, saying, you are the true mother. And all of Israel stands in awe because they see in Solomon the wisdom to do judgment. So what do you think of this story? Do you think Solomon got it right? 
How many think Solomon made a good decision? How many thinks he might have got it wrong? What was the evidence he went on? Yeah. Here, let me come around. Tell me who you are. Mara Smith. What do you think? I, the evidence was a mother's love. A mother's love. A mother's love for what? Her child. Her child. She'd rather have the child live and be brought up by this other woman who stole it from her right. than to see it killed. Right, because at least there's hope left. At least there's hope. Okay, good. Anybody want to take the case? Yes, yes, yes. My name is Noam. I've always read that story differently. Um, I figured that by the time the case reached Solomon, perhaps there was no real way to know who was the real mother and who, who wasn't. And what Solomon is deciding is not you know, that the baby should go to the real mother and who that would be, but perhaps he's just deciding that the baby should go to the better mother. And by doing what he did, he decided who that would be. Aha. Aha. So, here, let's play the case over again. Bring me the sword. Split the baby. No, no, don't do that. Give the baby to this one. Yes, split. Well, I'm about to make my judgment, but before I make my judgment, I'm going to recess for 10 minutes, just like Judge Wapner does it on TV, and I'll be back after the commercial. All right? We're now back in chambers, a little rest, and you're my law clerk. I'm Solomon. Okay? God. They make these cases up. It's amazing what they bring me. How am I supposed to know who's the true mother? Can you believe this? I'm supposed to go out there and tell them who's the true mother? I mean, we haven't got DNA tests or any of this stuff. Hmm. I can't tell. The, I mean, what is the chance that this is the true mother? Is it like 9 out of 10 or 6 out of 12? or what, what, what is it? So, I don't know what to do, but... Noam, you're right, you know, you're right. The better mother, the better mother. Write it up for me, would you? Just write it up, and I'll go out and announce it. Here, I'll start you off. I, Solomon, Lord of Israel, decide for woman number one, because, take it from there, because I haven't got a clue who the actual biological mother is. But I think it would be better if woman number one, rather than woman number two, brought up this child. What do you think? We step out, we read that judgment. Is all of Israel going to stand in awe? Here, right on the fly, Noam has generated the best interest of the child standard. 
We've got a ton of precedent on this. Will all of Israel stand in awe when Solomon pulls this off? I think not. His wisdom lies in not issuing that opinion. He just steps right up there and says, Woman number one, you are the true mother. And all of Israel stands in awe. But as Noam says, this is a long time after the event. You know, we've gone right from the dispute to Solomon. Let's just imagine. Let's just imagine. Can we put together a case for woman number two? Can we see it from her side? Here, let me tell you about it. She's an incredibly devout woman. Been schooled in the biblical texts. She knows the story of Abraham and Isaac. Anybody here know the story of Abraham and Isaac? Noam, help us out here. Here. So God says to Abraham, kill your son on top of this old mountain. And Abraham says yes, and is just about to do it. When an angel restrains him, points out a, a ram or something, and they kill that instead. Yeah. Woman number two has been brought up with that story. Abraham, just think of him and his standing with the people. Following the will of God, here embodied in Solomon. So when Solomon says, bring the sword and to woman number two, he is God incarnate. She's supposed to have the chutzpah to say, no, no, don't do that. No. She says, the Lord's will, let it be done. Of course, they don't write the story that way. Nor do they tell you that woman number one is phobic at the sight of blood. She gets scared when she sees any kind of violence. Plus, she had a lawyer who said, look, you're going in front of Solomon tomorrow. He's a sucker for a good move. You can't tell what he's going to do. He's always coming up with tricks. But whatever trick he comes up with, you just make sure that you are the nicest person in the room. Now, what's the right judgment for Solomon to make? Just the one he made. The wisdom of Solomon in some measure lies in the fact that he recognizes that what goes on in the mind of the decision maker, the programmer, is not the same as what you say to the audience to accomplish the objective that you're reaching for. That law has an inside and an outside. It's like the priesthood. Just different robes. If you were to think about the case of Bragg versus Lyndon Labs from Bragg's side, you would want to imagine how the story unfolded from Lyndon Labs' side. And you'd want to imagine how the Lyndon Labs story could be told 
in a way that was most damaging to your client. You'd want to be fully aware of the maximum power of the opposition's story before you make your opening. Part of your strategy for the case involves embracing the other side's story. Now, it turns out people have a hell of a tough time telling the other side's story, especially people who come to law school. It's like you've sorted yourself for your skill at oppositional argument. So suppose we were to consider doing the case at the superhero level of the Lord of Law against the Lord of Religion. Suppose we were to take up Martin's angry challenge to the divinity school. How could it be that in three years at a divinity school you never spoke of the conflict between democracy and Islam? Do you think you could tell the story from the other side? Do you think you could tell the story of Saddam Hussein from the other side? Would you dare? Would you dare to tell a story in which Saddam Hussein is the hero? Would you dare to tell a story in which Osama is the hero? Could you see that if you were actually going to engage in litigation in the court of public opinion against the Lord of religion represented by Islam, Could you state the full power of the case against you? So I'd actually like to see you try and do it. I'd like to see you tell the story of Saddam Hussein. Here's the way I'd love you to do it. I'd love you to go to the Wikipedia to the entry on monomyth. Monomyth is the fruit of Joseph Campbell's creativity, scholarship in storytelling. The man who's like the master of master of story abstracts the monomyth, the meta story, the hero story that comes up in Star Wars and it's like the fodder of story that have wide appeal to humans. And with that as your guide, in some way craft the story that will come from the opposition with Osama and Saddam Hussein as heroes. 